We welcome you to our Bible study as a radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled Freely Forgiven. Now if you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can listen online at our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces between radio Bible class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces. Now, Christian radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air and as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you're helping reach people in the listening area and over the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information over the phone. Or send us your gift. To Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13:16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you're a regular listener, you know that we've been journeying through the book of Hosea. And today will be our last lesson in this book. And even though it's just been a few months, I mean 12 lessons in total, I've truly enjoyed seeing God's heart for us, even when we chase after other things. He has a great love for us, and it's an enduring love. There are times that we're like Israel, and we get off God's path that He has for us. But He loves us so much that He sends people our way to warn us, just like the prophets did for Israel. Sadly, most of the time we don't listen. We believe that we've been successful and there's been no consequences to our sins so that God either missed it or he didn't see it or even worse, he thinks it's okay. But that's not the case. God sees everything. He's not okay with it. So he sends people along our way to help us out, to warn us. And God always gives us a way back to him. There's nothing that we can do. There's no sin so great that we can't repent and turn back to him. Some theologians say that this is a wonderful chapter. This chapter 14 at the end of the book of Hosea, we've seen God warning Israel. We've seen his harsh judgment. And now they're about to go back into captivity because their love for their sin is more than their love for God. I love what Charles Spurgeon writes about this final chapter in Hosea. He says throughout this book of Hosea, there's been thunder, sometimes a low rumbling like a storm off in the distance. And sometimes, like a storm immediately overhead. But now the storm has gathered all its force and it's coming to a climax. You expect a bolt of heaven to destroy, but instead you have a silver shower of mercy. God does not say, O Israel, depart accursed. But instead, a sweet-sounding voice cries out, O Israel, return to the Lord your God. In the midst of wrath, he remembers mercy. We see his grace. If you remember last week, I told you about the punishment that was heading Israel's way, about how they were going to be scattered and taken back into exile. But today we see a change in language from God. It's about how God wants to change us and how he wants to forgive us. After all the judgment that's been given to Israel, Hosea concludes this book with a message of hope and blessing. Now, this message should also give us hope, too, because we have the finished work of the cross that Jesus went and did for us. And it's through him that we can find this forgiveness and change that we'll see today. 
I'd like to tell you about David Hamilton, who was a terrorist and became a Christian while serving an 11-year prison sentence in Northern Ireland. He wrote about something that happened to him after he gave his life to Christ. He found out that his wife was living with another man just after a year that he went to prison. If that wasn't bad enough, he also found out during an argument that this man hit his three-year-old son in the face, breaking his nose and causing him to have a speech problem. Now this put his newly found faith under pressure and he swore to God that if he was given a chance, he would give up being a Christian so he could kill this man. Now three years later, the opportunity came. One day he was getting some hot water from, for a cup of tea that he was going to drink and he saw the man in a cell across from him. He knew this was his chance and it had come. A few days later, he was cutting the grass when he saw the man walking towards him. And a prison guard was with him and he asked him, Have you punched any babies lately? The man replied, Dude, it was an accident. David responded back, I don't believe you and I'm going to kill you. Your day is coming. Now a fellow inmate who was working with David in the yard, he couldn't believe what he heard. He said, You're a Christian. And you just said you're going to kill that man. And David responded back, but you don't know what he did to my boy. Over the next few weeks, David said that he watched and he waited for the right time for his revenge. He psyched himself up and he had this plan put together that he would distract the guards in the prison yard. Then the time finally came for him to put his plan into action. He was pacing up and down his cell, waiting for the door to open so that he could go take care of business. All of a sudden, he said, God spoke to him and said, David, forgive him. David responded back with his thought and said, I'll forgive him after I've killed him. But the words came back to him again, David, forgive him. So he thought about that and he said, okay, I won't kill him, God, but I'm going to beat him up. I mean, I'm going to beat him up badly so he's in the hospital for some time. It's only right. It's what he deserves. But all he could hear over and over again echoing through his head was the words, David, forgive him. All this just made his anger turn from this man towards God. Now he stopped pacing up and down. He looked up and he shouted, forgive him, but look what he did to my son. And it was then that God spoke to him this final time. And he said, look what they did to my son. David, look what they did to my son. David said he fell immediately to his knees and he wept. He asked God to forgive him for the bitterness that he was holding in his heart. He asked God to forgive him for the resentment that he had held on to. And when he got up from his knees, he said he was a different man. He says in his testimony, I went out in the yard where I saw him standing under the shelter. And I could see that he was afraid of what I was going to do to him. But I walked towards him and I stopped just a few feet away from him. And there I could see the fear in his eyes. I could have killed him at that very moment. I could have killed him. But instead I told him, I'm now a Christian. God has forgiven me. And just like God has forgiven me, I forgive you. Most people will tell you that it's God's job to forgive us. It's his duty. It's his obligation to forgive us. That's what they believe. And theologically, that is correct. But it begs the question today, are we freely forgiven? What does it take for God to forgive us? Is it God's job simply to forgive us? Is that his duty? Is that his obligation to forgive us? Can we just do whatever we want? Can we live as we please and expect God to forgive us because that's what he's supposed to do? Or is there more to it than just that? And today in chapter 14, we'll see in verse 4, it says, I will love them freely. 
John 3.16, one of the most recognized verses in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. First John 4 says that God is love. God's love for us is an unconditional love. I would challenge anyone to show me otherwise. The Bible says that God loves us, and not only that he loves us, but even the worst of all sinners, he loves them too. But even though God loves everyone, is he obligated to forgive us? Through our study, we've seen that Israel is a nation that has chosen idolatry to live as they feel like they should. I told you last week that Israel had a long history of idolatry, going all the way back to the golden calf. They've been guilty of spiritual adultery. We've seen lying and murder and bloodshed. We've seen their immoral lifestyle. So let me ask the question one more time. Is it really God's job? Is it his duty? Is it his obligation to forgive his people? The good news I have for you today is that God doesn't grudgingly offer forgiveness to sinful people. He wants to forgive, and the Bible even says that. But there's a big difference between forgiving sin and condoning sin. To forgive sin with no change and desire to change would be to condone that sin. And God never condones sin. You have to understand that God wants to do a whole lot more than just forgive us of our sin. He wants to change the sinner. And that starts with repentance. And God's love is unconditional. But his forgiveness isn't. In order to receive God's forgiveness, there first must be a genuine repentance. And I want you to see four things this morning about God's forgiveness from this final chapter of Hosea. So let's start by reading Hosea 14, verses 1 through 3. And I'll be reading from the ESV. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you the words and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphans find mercy. So the first thing we need to see is that we have to recognize our sin before we can ask for forgiveness and be forgiven by God. We have to repent. Recognizing our sin starts that repentance process. Do you know what the first step is to any recovery program? It's that you have to admit that you are powerless to overcome the problem or the substance. You have to admit that you have a problem. And the first step to forgiveness is to recognize your sin. In verse 1, God says to the people, your sins have been your downfall. Now, this shouldn't really surprise us because God's been telling them that for the last 13 chapters. Their trouble up to this point was that the people hadn't recognized their sin. They thought they were okay. They thought they were doing well. Remember, they thought that God was blessing them because they were so prosperous. They didn't recognize or care about the sin that they were committing because if God was blessing them, then it wasn't a big deal. They let their sin creep up on them gradually, though. They didn't go to bed one night as saints and wake up the next morning as this hardened, adulterous sinner. It happened gradually over time, and that's how sin gets to us. A little compromise here, a little compromise there, and over time we get stuck in it. Before we know it, we are a slave to that sin, and we haven't even noticed it happening the whole time. Now, sadly, today in many churches, not only is sin tolerated in the society that we live in, but even worse, it's tolerated in the church. It's not recognized or addressed. Paul wrote in Romans 1, 32, 
though they know God's righteous decree to those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those that practice them. Now, if you try to address this sin problem in the church, you'll probably hear something along the lines of, well, we're a modern-day Christian, or we're a 21st century believer, or I'm more enlightened on the Bible than you are. Maybe you'll hear this if you're not in that church and you talk to someone in the church. Well, we're a modern-day church. Our church is an enlightened church. And what they're really saying is it's okay to sleep with someone outside of marriage just like the world does, and we believe that's okay. It's okay to go out and socialize and get drunk like the world does, and by the way, we believe that's okay. We believe it's okay to gamble or to lie or to cheat like the world does, and we believe that's okay. We're like the world, and it's okay because we're modern. We're 21st century. We're educated more than you are on what the Bible does say and how it's no longer valid. They might even tell you to get with it. You no longer have to live and conform to the Bible that was written over 2,000 years ago. Some of it doesn't apply to today. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's heard these excuses, but what they're really telling us is that they don't recognize what they're doing and what they're saying or how they're living as sin. And what I'm telling you today is that without recognition of sin, you can't have repentance. And without repentance, you can't have forgiveness. The Bible is very clear on this. The problem is that the Bible doesn't fit their lifestyle, so they push it to the side. They don't recognize themselves as a sinner because maybe they go to church regularly. Maybe they pray. Maybe they read the Bible. But when they do run across something that doesn't fit their lifestyle, they kind of just leave it out. And just because the Bible says something they don't like, they just throw it out. They see the Bible like a buffet line, and they get to pick and choose what they want and they don't want. But it doesn't work that way. Now, I won't name names, but today you have preachers that are standing in a pulpit and preaching a false message, a false gospel, and they're leading people to hell. And if you're going to listen to a preacher or a pastor, evangelist, or even a Sunday school teacher that doesn't teach the whole Bible, then you better run. You can't pick and choose from the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia on this very subject. Galatians 1, 6-9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to the different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. So let me ask this question. Does God love every sinner? Yes, he does. Does God forgive every sinner? No. He only forgives those that recognize their sin and they repent. It's really that simple. No recognition of sin means no repentance. And if there's no repentance, then there's no forgiveness. Now, the second thing we can learn about forgiveness is that we have to own and we have to confess our sin. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3 again. Take with you the words and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity and set what is good. And we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. A seer shall not save us. We shall not ride on horses and we shall say no more our gods to the work of our hands. In you the orphans find mercy. So in verse 2, God says that they had to confess their sins. 
But look what they are bringing before God. It's words, not just sacrifices. Their sacrifices are no longer acceptable because of their idolatry. They had to speak genuine words of repentance and not just empty words from their religious rituals that they have done in the past. They have to own and confess their sin. They had to confess their sins before God. They needed to ask God to forgive all our sins. When we truly repent, we own and we confess our sins to God. And in verse 3, look what they had to confess. They had to admit that they were wrong and that they were unable to save themselves, that their gods could not save them, and that God alone was able to bring salvation to them. They confessed that they are powerless. Nothing that they put their trust in can save them. The Syrians and Egyptians are powerful nations around them, but they are unable to save them from the judgment of God. As a matter of fact, they're going to be the very ones that bring God's judgment to them. Israel can't rely on their politics and strong militaries around them anymore. They won't be able to continue their false beliefs and their pagan worship. They had to reject what all they had put their trust in to this point. And it's no different today. We have to do the same thing. You have to confess your sin and ask God to forgive you. And part of that repentance is removing from your life the sin and the stuff that leads us to that sin. Now, this is hard. It may mean getting rid of things in your life, like material things. It may mean breaking off certain relationships or social networking. It may be that you no longer can go to certain places or be in certain company with certain people. We have to give these things up because it's what took us to that sin. It's what took us away from God in the first place. Now, this leads me to the third thing, and I want you to see this today. Repentance involves a turning away and a turning to. Repentance requires us to turn away from our sin and back to God. And once you've recognized your sin, there needs to come a turning away and a change of direction. I heard about a Sunday school teacher who asked her class what the word repentance meant. A little boy in her class immediately raised his hand. He shot it up. It's being sorry for your sins. But before the teacher could tell him what is right or wrong, a little girl in the back said, well, it's more than that. It's being sorry enough to quit that sin. And she was spot on. Repentance isn't just a case of feeling sorry. It takes more than just confession. Repentance isn't just a case of having a little bit of remorse or regret for the sin that we have in our life. Matter of fact, if you go look up that word repent in the Greek, it's metaneo, which means to have a change of heart or to turn back, to have a complete change of orientation. Repent is a military term, and it was used to have the soldiers to do a complete about turn. And we've seen that Israel has been heading in the wrong direction. They're way off course. They've been living a sinful life, and that's led them further and further away from God. And God's telling them, stop. Turn around, you're going the wrong way, you're headed the wrong direction. And we see that in verse 1 where he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. And then in verse 2, Take words with you, return to the Lord. In fact, we've seen this time and time again through the book of Hosea where he says to return to the Lord. Like in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Come, let us return to the Lord. Or in chapter 10, verse 12, he says, It is time to seek the Lord. And in chapter 12, you must return to your God. And then again here in chapter 14, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Now, basic logic tells us if you are returning to something, then you're turning back to it. Going back to something requires you to turn towards that. You are going to turn from something and you're going to turn back towards it. 
And repentance requires us returning to God. It requires us turning to God and from our sin. And so God is telling Israel that they have to turn away from their iniquity and their unfaithfulness and their idolatry and turn back towards him. So we should learn from this. When God reveals something in our life that shouldn't be there, we have to turn away from it. And when we turn away from that sin, we are turning back to God. So we've seen that we have to recognize our sin, and after recognizing our sin, we have to own our sin and confess it. And after confessing our sin, we have the real hard part, and that's the part that keeps a lot of people from coming back to God, and that is turning from that sin and turning back to God. It's a matter of changing. And God has promised us that if we will confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the final thing I want you to see today about forgiveness is true repentance leads to forgiveness. True repentance leads to forgiveness and even a fruitful future. Look what God promises Israel in the rest of this chapter. Look with me at verses 4 through 9. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out of his beauty and shall be like the olive and as fragrant like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answers and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressioners stumble in them. So what we see here is that when we recognize and confess our sin, that God is not slow to respond. In verse 4, we see God's grace in action. We see him healing them and turning away his anger from them. God's grace and mercy is not slow to us when we repent. When we have turned from our wicked ways and turned to him in repentance and through faith, God will take our bad situation and he'll use it for good. He promises that when we forsake our sin and turn to him in repentance, he will hear us and he will heal us. Now in verse 5 through 8, he paints this beautiful picture of restoration and protection and growth and blessings. We see that blessings flow again to his people. He says that there is a freshness in the dew and the flowers and the fragrance and the beauty. And this is God showing how he is going to restore them. Then he goes on to show that he will protect them too. And he uses the image of the shade of the noonday heat from the sun. And he shows growth by talking about deep roots of the cedar and the vigorous life of a vine. He says that in their repentance he will bring healthy growth and that will be seen in their lives. Through their repentance, they will now be reconciled back with God and he'll be able to continue his fulfilled promises that he made to Abraham. How he'll make Israel a great nation. But without repentance, they are destined for destruction and scattering. And we've seen that for the last 13 chapters. But through their repentance, they are going to be blessed and blessed by God. Now, even though these verses show us that how God's not slow to bless those that have turned back to him, I want you to see a couple of things, though. I want to make sure that you notice some things about the pictures that he paints. For example, not, it didn't happen instantly. It didn't happen without a struggle or going through some tough seasons. And you can see this in the image that we're given. The dew comes overnight and refreshes the parched land. 
but the heat of the sun soon evaporates that which is not absorbed by the plants. So what we should learn from this, the very things that God gives us that we don't put in our heart and in our lives and that we don't live out, the world will burn or dry up. Another thing is a fact of life is that roots take time to grow deep and strong. Trees do not grow tall overnight. And the same is true in our spiritual life. We need deep and strong roots. And we do that over time by feeding and watering them with God's word and in prayer. And we see here that it talks about the vine. And Jesus said he was the vine and that we have to remain in him to bring forth fruit. And if we didn't remain in him, that we would wither and die. We would be pruned back. To bring forth fruit is through our connection with Christ. And we only bring forth that fruit by living and walking with Christ. Also, we need to remember, though, that the fruit we produce isn't for us, but it's for others. God will allow us to produce fruit to benefit others. And then in verse 8, God tells them, You are no longer to bow down, kiss, and adore these worthless idols, these pieces of wood that you made with your hand. God alone should be our sole source. He should alone be our trust. He is the provider of all our needs. God says, I am supreme and sufficient for all your needs. It is I who answer you in a time of need. So now let me close with this final thought. God closes with what will be your response. In verse 9, that's what he says. It will be up to you to choose. The question today isn't, is it just for Israel, but it's for us too. Will we walk wise? The wise person will understand what Hosea has been warning and telling Israel all along. The wise person will understand what God is saying and through him and through his word, through his teaching, through prayer, that God is offering an opportunity for repentance and restoration if we will just choose it. The question is, will you be wise and respond or will you be foolish and reject the invitation that God is providing? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, Lord, and I thank you for another time to come together and study your word and to see this final chapter in Hosea. And Lord, we thank you that you give us an opportunity for repentance and for forgiveness, that we're never too far gone, but that forgiveness takes some process. We have to confess our sin to you. We have to own our sin. We have to recognize our sin, and we have to turn and confess it to you. Lord, that you love us and there's nothing that we can do that can separate us from that love. But for us to be a child of you and for us to be forgiven of our sins, we have to recognize that we're a sinner. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to confess you, Lord, of our life. We have to ask you to be Lord of our life. We have to believe all that. Lord, that it takes a daily walking with you. Lord, I feel right now there's someone you're knocking on their heart. Or maybe they have some sin in their life. Maybe they're like those people that say, well, you know, I'm a modern day Christian. It's okay to live with someone even though we're not married. Maybe it's someone that says it's okay to get drunk. Everybody else does it. Lord, maybe there's someone out there right now that says, I don't have to tithe. That was back in the day, but the Bible is wrong on that now. Or maybe there's someone that's just going through the motion. Maybe they're like Israel. They're doing their ritual. They're going to church every Sunday. They may even be reading their Bible. Lord, they may be praying to you, but they've never asked you to be Lord of their life. Maybe they've not confessed the sin in their life. They just assume if I can be good enough, if I can do all the right things, if I can live the Christian life, Lord, you've taught us through the Bible there's more than that. It's only through Jesus Christ, through his blood, that we can be saved. 
Lord, right now, we're going to give you all the honor and glory. We thank you for the many blessings you give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.